0: Hello, and welcome to Evil Olive. A mother's love is something that we are born to know as safe and protecting. A mother is supposed to protect their child, as it is a primal instinct to do so. However, for three children, they would never know their mother's love. Rather, they would only know her as something sinister that can never be controlled. Today's episode deals with violence and abuse against children. Listener discretion is advised as it will not be suitable for all listeners. Michelle Lynn Watson was born to Les and Shara Watson on April 15, 1954, in Battleground, Washington. She went by Shelley, and she was one of three children. She had two younger brothers, Chuck and Paul. Shortly after Paul's birth, Les and Sharon divorced, and Sharon took the kids and left for California. Not long after Sharon's departure, Les fell in love again and married Laura in 1960. They met at the bowling alley that Les owned and operated that was called the Tiger Bowl. Les owned and operated multiple nursing homes with his mother, Anna, as well. Shortly after Les and Laura's marriage, Laura received a phone call from Sharon, Les's ex-wife. She stated that she was going to return the kids back to Les. Laura was confused, although she knew that Les had children and they lived with their mother in California. She was unaware that they would be coming back to live with them. Laura did not have children and was not sure if she was ready to be a stepmom. Les told Laura that he had told his ex-wife that he would be taking back the children once he was married and raised them. Laura agreed and in the fall of 1960, Sharon returned to Washington with Shelley, who was six and Chuck, who was three. She dropped both children off with Laura and Les, but she did not leave her infant son, Paul. Sharon returned back to California with Paul. It is unclear why she did not leave him with his father, Les. Once Shelly and Chuck were situated in their new home with their father and stepmother, Laura tried her hardest to love and care for the children. Shelly, however, did not care how nice her stepmother was. Shelly had hatred for Lara from the start. Nearly every day, Shelly would tell Lara that she hated her stepmother and wanted nothing to do with her. Lara knew that it must have been hard for Shelly to adjust to this new life and gave her the benefit of the doubt. Lara also empathized with Shelly because her mother just dropped her off and left. Laura tried to make up for Shelly's pain with extra love and care. Laura could see the pain in Shelley's face every day, but she also saw something in Chuck that concerned her as well. Shelley's younger brother was 3 years old and would not talk or answer any questions. Instead, Shelley would answer for him and speak for him. Laura started to notice that when Shelley was not around her brother, Chuck would talk and communicate. It was as if Shelly was trying to control her little brother by not letting him speak. Seven years later, in 1967, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department arrived at Les and Lara's home with some disturbing news. Sharon was found murdered in a hotel room. The police told Les that he needed to go to California to identify Sharon's body and take custody of his youngest son, Paul. Les went to California and picked up his youngest son, who is now seven years old. And took him back to Washington to live with his siblings. Laura tried to discuss Sharon's death with Shelley as it was her mother, and she wanted to make sure Shelley was okay. Shelley did not cry or mourn for her mother at all. This was not odd to Laura unless due to the fact that Sharon had abandoned Shelley when she was only six years old. However, Laura still expected to see a small amount of emotion, from Shelley, since it was her mother, but she never did. Les and Lara went out of their way to make all three children feel at home and normal. They did as any family would do. They took their kids on boating trips, camping trips, fishing trips, and even skiing trips. Both Chuck and Paul found happiness and pleasure in the family vacations, but Shelly did not. Shelly would become extremely upset if the trips did not revolve around her and what she wanted to do. If this happened, she would throw a fit and argue with her stepmother and father until she got her way. Lara still tried to help Shelly the best she could. Shelly was not a morning person, so Lara went as far as to set out Shelly's clothes the night before school to help her mornings run better, regardless of her efforts, Shelley still continued to verbally abuse Laura and say mean and hurtful things to her. She continued to tell her stepmom that she hated her. She also started to lie about everything to Laura. It seemed Shelley loved to cause drama in the family. Shelley even started to resent her younger siblings and would do unspeakable things to them. For no apparent reason, Shelley broke glass into tiny pieces one day and put it into her brother's shoes. She did this so when they would step into their shoes, they would cut their feet and bleed. Les and Laura were deeply concerned about Shelly's behavior towards the family and her siblings. They thought that possibly being around Les's mother, Anna, would be good for Shelly. Grandma Anna was a larger lady weighing 250 pounds, and she had a foot that would drag on the ground when she walked. Grandma Anna helped her son less with running one of his nursing homes that he owned. On the outside, Grandma Anna seemed like a good person, but Grandma Anna was not as nice as you would picture a grandmother to be. Grandma Anna was always right, and no one ever questioned what she said or did, not even her husband George. George was a small and quiet man, opposite of Anna, and he was nice to those around him but Grandma Anna was extremely abusive towards her husband, George. She disliked him so much that she forced George to sleep in an 8x8 shed that was located in the backyard of the property. Grandma Anna was also rude to the employees that worked at the nursing home her son owned. She would refer to the staff as retards and would make them do tasks that were not in their job description. One time, Grandma Anna made an employee wash her feet and do her dishes. If the task was not being done quick enough or to her liking, she would punch and kick the employee. It was during this time that Shelly started to visit Grandma Anna and went over there after school since it was right next door. All the employees were frightened of Grandma Anna, but not Shelly. Shelley was never afraid of her grandma. Les was unaware of his mother's behavior until one day when Laura went to pick up Shelly from her house. When Laura arrived, Grandma Anna complained that Shelly's red hair was messy and dirty and needed to be clean. Lara explained that Shelly does brush and wash her hair. She grabbed Shelly and they went home. But not long after, Shelly visited Grandma Anna again. When Laura came back to pick her up that day, she saw Shelley on the front porch and could not believe her eyes. As Laura got closer to Shelley, she saw that all of her hair had been cut off, and it was not a flattering cut. Shelley's once pretty red hair was now butchered. Grandma Anna came to the front porch with scissors in her hand and informed Laura that she had chopped off Shelley's dirty hair. Laura was upset and just as confused. However, Shelly was not upset with the haircut. She was still not afraid of her grandmother. Time went on, but the problems with Shelly continued to progress. When Shelly was just 15, she was pulled out of school during her classes and taken to the Vancouver Juvenile Detention Facility. When Laura and Les found out, they were shocked and wanted to know why Shelly was at the detention facility. Laura went down there to straighten things out. Once Laura arrived, she tried to find out what was going on, but the police told her it was an act of investigation, so she wasn't allowed to speak with Shelley. However, they did tell Laura that Shelley had accused her father of raping her. Laura couldn't believe what she was being told. She immediately went home and told Les what was happening. They called their family physician to see if he would examine Shelly the next day to dispute her accusation of rape, and the doctor agreed. The next morning, the doctor did examine Shelly and was shocked by what he found. The results of the exam indicated that Shelly was never raped, and that she was intact, which meant she was still a virgin. The doctor stated she needed to seek counseling for this behavior, and Laura and Les couldn't agree more. They all went to counseling, but it would prove useless. Shelly would admit for a moment she might have a problem or be wrong, but in the end, everything that happened was not Shelly's fault. Shelly's school found out about the lie and immediately expelled her for it. Laura tried to get her into another school by contacting boarding schools in and around the Vancouver and Portland area, but no one would accept Shelly. Eventually, she was sent to live with Laura's parents, who soon realized how much of a problem Shelly really was. At first, everything was going okay, but Shelly started to do evil conniving things while staying with her grandparents. If her grandma would ask her to wash the dishes, she would just throw the actual dish into the garbage and refuse to wash it. While living there, Shelley started to babysit the neighbor kids as well. During one time babysitting for a neighbor, the parents came home to find their kids not dressed for bed and still in their school clothes from that day. Once Shelly left, the children told the parents that Shelly had barricaded them in their rooms with furniture. Needless to say, Shelley never babysat again. It was not long until Shelley accused her own grandfather of rape as well and this was when she was sent back to live with Laura and Les. Due to the false accusations Shelley made against her father, their relationship was practically destroyed. Laura and Les knew that Shelley needed to start over in another place, and they decided to enroll her into the St. Mary of the Valley in Beaverton, Oregon, which was 40 minutes south of Battleground. Since the distance was so far, Shelley lived there during the week, and was picked up on Fridays so she could spend time with the family on the weekends. Things seemed to be going well until the end of that school year. St. Mary of the Valley called and stated that Shelly was being kicked out for her behavior and would not be allowed to return the next year. Laura and Les were at their breaking point once again. They would have paid anything to get Shelly into another school. Shelly returned home for a short period. Until she decided to live with her aunt in Pennsylvania. This too was short lived, as almost from the moment Shelley arrived, the drama began. Shelley was so toxic that it caused her aunt to divorce her husband. Although her aunt and her uncle's marriage ended, Shelley found love while living in Pennsylvania. At the young age of 17, Shelley met Randy Rivardo in 1972. Randy stated that she was beautiful and had gorgeous red hair and great skin. Although in love, Shelly moved back to Battleground, Washington with her family. The relationship between her and Randy seemed to be over until the summer of 1972. She called Randy and asked him to move to Washington. Shelley told him that her father would give him a job and that they could be together Her father was even willing to give him an apartment rent-free. Randy, still madly in love with Shelly, could not refuse this offer, so he moved to Washington to be with her. From the moment he arrived in Battleground, wedding plans were already being put into place. Randy loved Shelly, but he found it odd that Shelly's father, Les, was so eager to have her marry someone. He felt that the family was almost trying to pawn her off on him. Despite these feelings, Randy went through with the marriage. The wedding happened so fast that Les, Shelley's father, was Randy's best man. In addition, no one from Randy's family came to the wedding. It was later discovered that Shelley never sent invitations to anyone from Randy's family. Randy and Shelley were married in February of 1973. Shelley was 19 years old. It wasn't long into their marriage that the problems started to arise. Shelley was fired from her father's nursing home because she would call in sick repeatedly and was unreliable. When she was fired, she bounced around from job to job. This eventually led her to just staying home and not working at all. Shelley didn't cook, clean, or do anything that could help keep the house afloat. Her father had given her a trailer to live in with her husband because they couldn't afford to buy a house at the time. Her father did this for her, even though she nearly destroyed his reputation with their lies. He loved his daughter and wanted to help her. Les was always willing to give Shelley what she needed and what she wanted. Whenever something would come up or a problem would arise, Shelley would run to her father for anything and everything. Cars money for bills, housing, jobs, but nothing ever satisfied or pleased Shelly. One time, Shelly's father bought her a pink Buick convertible, and when she was presented with this gift, she threw a tantrum and yelled at her father. She stated that it was an old person's car and that she didn't want it and asked for a different one. One day when Randy came home, he found Shelly with a bloody face and the trailer in a state of disarray. Shelley said a man came into the trailer, beat her, and raped her. Randy called the police, and when the sheriff came to investigate, he was extremely confused. The sheriff stated that the wounds to Shelly were self-inflicted and that no one came into the trailer. It was unclear as to why Shelley would go to such extreme lengths to concoct a crime scene and attack her own self but many speculated that she did this to force her father to buy her a house because she did not like the trailer in 1975 shelley gave birth to her first daughter nikki many thought this would change shelley and she would become a better person her marriage to randy however just got worse she would lock him out of the house at all times of the night and she would spend his money on whatever she wanted. She didn't work and used Randy only for his paycheck. The marriage between Shelly and Randy became so strenuous that Randy was left no other choice but to leave Shelly and his daughter, Nikki. Randy stated he loved his daughter, but had no other choice. Randy filed for divorce from Shelly and left and started fresh. Shortly after the divorce, Shelly abandoned Nikki with a relative one evening and went out. Laura found out about this and picked up Nikki from the relative immediately. Later, Laura found out that Shelly had gotten a job at a bar on Main Street in downtown Vancouver. However, Shelly never came back. Laura cared for Nikki for a year before Shelly showed up again in their lives. She showed up without any reason or explanation for her disappearance and demanded to have Nikki back. Laura tried to refuse this, but Shelley was ever so demanding. After all, this was Nikki's mother. When Nikki was 3 years old, Shelley met and moved in with Danny Long, and they married on June 2, 1978. In August of that same year, Samantha, Shelley's second child, was born, and they called her Sammy. Shelley's second marriage would prove to be just as disastrous as her last. There was fighting, yelling, abuse, and fits of rage. Shelley was not just abusive towards Danny, but her children as well. Nikki was laying in bed and was having a nightmare. She awoke screaming for help and for her mother, but when she was awoke, she was surprised to see her mother already sitting next to her with a pillow in her hands. Shelly told Nikki that she was okay and she was just having a bad dream. But even at three years old, Nikki knew something was not right. She couldn't understand why her mother was holding a pillow sitting next to her in her room. It was not long after that Shelly and Danny divorced, and he left both the children with Shelly. In April of 1982, Dave Notick met Shelly at a bar in Long Beach, Washington. Dave was head over heels for her and thought that she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. Shelley was beautiful, and she looked like she could be a movie star. Dave grew up in Raymond, Washington, and became a logger. In the beginning, when Shelley would bring Dave around, Shelley's two kids, Nikki and Sammy, Shelley told Nikki that this was her new father and that she needed to call him dad. Shelley also told Dave that she had cancer. And only had a month to live. Dave at the time found this odd, as Shelley looked to be fine and showed no signs of having any illness. However, he still loved her. Eventually, Shelley, Dave, and the two kids moved to a house in Raymond, Washington, and they married on December 28, 1987. One of the witnesses at the wedding for Shelley was her friend and hairdresser, Kathy Loreno. A few years later, the house they were living in burned down, and they were forced to move into a rental property in Old Willapa. They called it the Louderback House, which was the name of the original owners. The house was situated on the edge of a forest and was extremely secluded. This would be the start of Shelley's evil, an abusive reign on her kids. Nikki was roughly 13 years old at the time, and Sammy was 10. Some early accounts of punishment included being beaten until bloody, shoved into walls, and being locked in the room for days. In one incident, Nikki was pushed into a walk-in closet and her mother started punching her while Nikki cried for her mother to stop. During the abuse, Nikki cried, Mom, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. This did not stop Shelly. It only fueled her rage. She screamed back at Nikki. You fucking little bitch. Nikki got up and tried to run away, and as she did, her mother pushed her into the wall, where her head hit a protruding nail. At that moment, Shelly realized that her daughter's head was nailed to the wall, and she stopped. Shelly would stop when the beatings went too far, and would pretend to love her children and tend to their wounds as if nothing happened. One time, Shelley locked Nikki in a room for a week before Christmas and then when Christmas Day came, she acted like nothing ever happened and let Nikki out. She would give the children's gifts and toys just to take it away and watch the sadness on their face. If Nikki and Sammy were caught trying to find their gifts, they were beaten. To ensure the children would not search for their gifts or toys, Shelley would put tape on the doors. The tape would connect from the door to the wall. If the door was opened, then the tape would come off and Shelly would know that her children were searching for their toys and would punish them. It seemed as though she wanted her children to get caught so she could punish them. One time, Shelly gave the girls teddy bear pins for Christmas and while in the process of the kids unwrapping all of their presents, the pins became lost this sent Shelly into a fit of rage. Shelley yelled at the children, beat them with an electric cord, and made them look for the pins all night long. The pins were eventually found tucked in another present. Even at their young age, Nikki and Sammy both suspected that their mother, Shelley most likely took the teddy bear pins and hid them, all in an effort to blame and torture them for the remainder of their Christmas night. Although the girls were afraid of their mother and sad about their lives, Sammy and Nikki had each other. Sometimes at night, Sammy would sneak into her older sister Nikki's room and lay with her in her bed and talk about how they would get away from their mother one day. One time, the girls talked about shrinking their mother and putting her in a cage so she couldn't hurt them anymore. Through these abusive tirades, Shelley's husband Dave did not step in or help the children. Rather, he was just as scared of Shelley as the girls were, and was too cowardly to stand up and stop it. Dave, too afraid to stand up to his wife, would back the abuse that Shelley exhibited towards the kids. Shelley was creative in her punishments. When she would tire of one abuse, she would think of another one. This was when wallowing became an abuse tactic that was used regularly in the home. Wallowing is how pigs and hogs roll in mud, and Shelley made her own children do this. Nikki was typically the main source of this form of abuse and would suffer it often. According to Nikki, she would be asleep in her bed when her mother would barge in screaming and yelling at her to wake up. Nikki, not wanting to upset her mother further, would do as she was told and would do it quickly. Shelly would make Nikki go downstairs, take off her clothes, and go outside to the mud puddle and lay in it. Shelly would put a jacket on, grab the hose from the side of the house, and start spraying her daughter while she yelled at her and made her roll in the mud. Sammy sometimes watched from her upstairs bedroom window crying for it all to stop. She loved her sister and hated seeing Nikki abused but also didn't want to receive the same abuse. While staring out into the night watching her sister roll in the mud, Sammy was surprised to see Dave standing out there with Shelly. It wasn't just her mother spraying Nikki. It was her stepfather as well. The wallowing could last for hours. It just depended on how angry Shelly was that night or how long she wanted to torture her children. After the wallowing, Nikki was not allowed to shower or to get clean. She would show up to school the next day dirty, unkempt, and tired. Nikki wanted to tell someone about the abuse, but was too afraid. In the book, If You Tell by Greg Olson, Nikki was afraid of what would happen to her if she told and no one believed her. She was afraid to receive more or even worse abuse. Nikki also didn't want people to know that her family was violent. In addition to the wallowing, Nikki was also subjected to imprisonment at a young age. During their time at the Louderback house, Nikki was imprisoned in her room or her closet for almost an entire summer. Her mother would give her a bucket to relieve herself in and would only allow Nikki to come out to empty the bucket. Sammy missed her sister dearly and found ways to connect with her, even though she was locked in her room. When Nikki was locked in her room during that summer, their dog had puppies. Nikki wanted to see and play with the puppies. Nikki had several robes in her room. She took the ropes from the robes, tied them to her bucket, and lowered the bucket down to Sammy. Sammy cleaned out the bucket and then proceeded to put two puppies in it for her sister to play with. Nikki pulled the bucket up and got to see the puppies. They both knew that that if they were caught, their mother would punish them both. But Sammy and Nikki's love for one another was so great, they risked it anyways, even for a moment of happiness. Nikki was eventually let out of her room, but the abuse started up again quickly. Sammy heard the screams and watched her mother chase Nikki around the house and the property. Nikki continued to run away from her mother, scared, which in turn made Shelly more angry. When Shelly finally caught up to Nikki, she had shoved Nikki through a glass door and Nikki dropped to the ground screaming. Nikki was covered in glass and had cuts all over her body. Shelly yelled, Look what you made me do, Nikki! Nikki laid there, covered in her own blood, crying. Her sister Sammy looked on at the horror scene in disbelief. Sammy saw her mother, and then her mother changed. Shelly became caring and was concerned for Nikki. She said she was sorry, which was not something the girls ever heard. Shelly took Nikki into the bathroom upstairs and ran a bath. For once, the water was not scolding hot, but nice and warm. She took off Nikki's clothes, washed the blood from her body, and bandaged up all the cuts. Shelley considered herself somewhat of a nurse because she worked at a nursing home and attended a couple courses at a local community college. Therefore, she did not take Nikki to seek medical attention for all the cuts in the glass she had. Rather, she fixed Nikki up herself. Sammy could recall that after that incident, her mother was nicer to Nikki. She even took Nikki out to dinner and paid to get Nikki's hair styled. Laura, their grandmother, was never aware of any abuse that the children suffered. Nikki and Sammy would just state that their mom was weird and acted different sometimes. Laura never saw anything that would make her think or believe that Shelley was abusing her own children to the extent that she was. In 1988, Shelley's nephew Shane came to live with the family at the Louderback House. Shane's parents were unable to care for him due to their incarcerations and substance abuse, so Shelley decided to take in Shane and give him a home and a family. Although he came from a broken home, Shane was a good kid. He never had trouble in school, with the law, or anybody he knew. Girls found him attractive with his dark brown eyes and his dark hair. When Shane arrived, he was given the room in the basement with a bed and a place to put all of his belongings. He had pictures on the wall, music, and his personal things. It was great at first. Shane finally had a place where he had felt at home and a family that was not in prison or on the street doing drugs. It was short-lived. It wasn't long before Shelley started to inflict her abusive ways onto Shane as well. Shelley had a knack for making the kids do incomplete outrageous chores. She would make them do everything inside and out the house. Cleaning up feces, moving pile of sticks from one to another, cleaning up the entire inside of the house, painting random walls and sheds, and pointless tasks that never mattered. Shane quickly learned that you did not talk back to Shelly. You did as you were told, or you were punished. Shane soon became scared of his Aunt Shelly, and did as he was told. However, when he didn't, his things started to go missing from the basement. First it was his pillow, and then his blankets, and then his bed. Soon Shane found himself in a dungeon below the house that he could not escape. He tried to reason with his aunt, but that only made things worse. Shane stopped complaining and did as he was told, but this too did not stop his aunt from her continuous torture and abuse. Shane was not allowed to shower except for every other week and had to wear the same dirty clothes to school every day. The girls that once found him cute saw him as a dirty, unkempt, smelly kid at school. When Laura found out Shane was living with Shelly, she went up to visit and see how the transition was going. When she arrived, she quickly learned that things were not great and she was concerned. She was forced to sit in her car for hours because no one answered the door. She left and came back another time, and the kids were home, so she was led into the house. Laura saw that the house looked great. Everything was clean. Nikki and Sammy's rooms were organized and there was no clutter. Laura wanted to see Shane's room, so she went down into the basement. From the moment she opened the door, she was hit with an awful smell of diesel. As she got further down the stairs, the smell was so overwhelming that she could barely breathe. She looked around and saw that Shane had no bed, clothes, dresser, blankets, or pillows. Shelly immediately tried to cover up her actions by saying that the diesel tank was just filled and that this was a temporary place for him to stay. Lara asked about the bed and his belongings, and Shelly lied and said she just didn't have time to get to it. Lara asked her if she needed money for a bed for Shane. At first she declined, but then she accepted. Shelly did use the money to go purchase a bed for Shane. Laura was still unaware of the abuse that Nikki, Sammy, and Shane were now all suffering from at the hands of Shelley. Typically, Nikki was the target of all the abuse, but now that Shane was there, he and Nikki both suffered. Shelley subjected Shane to her wallowing punishment and other ways of abuse as well. Sammy one night was at the top of the stairs and heard her mother yelling at Nikki and Shane. When she looked downstairs, she saw that her mother forced them to dance in the nude. Both Shane and Nikki were embarrassed and uncomfortable, but they did not dare disobey Shelley. Since Nikki and Shane were the main targets of the abuse now, they became more like brother and sister instead of cousins. They loved each other and tried to protect one another. They would often talk about escaping and how they could get rid of Shelley. If Shelley caught Nikki and Shane talking, she would punish them for that as well. One night, she forced Nikki and Shane to get undressed, go outside, and sit with their backs to one another. Both Shane and Nikki did as they were told, for fear of some far worse punishment. They sat in the nude in the cold with their backs touching, and talked about how much they hated Shelly. It was hours before Shelley told them that they could come in, and when she did, she said that they hoped they learned their lesson. They had no idea why they were outside in the first place. By the Christmas of 1988, Shelley was 34 years old and was pregnant with her third child with Dave. Shelley announced that her friend Kathy Loreno would be moving in with them. Kathy was at the house often visiting with her friend Shelley. However, her point of view of the children was far different. Shelly's story portrayed the kids, especially Nicky and Shane, as ungrateful children that gave Shelly problems. Kathy was nice to the kids, but made it a point of telling them that they needed to respect their mother because she does so much for them. Sammy enjoyed Kathy, but Nikki and Shane did not care for her. When Shelly told everyone that Kathy would be moving in with them, she said it was so Kathy could help out around the house and with the baby after it was born. Shelly also stated that Kathy's family did not want anything to do with her and she had nowhere else to go. In June of 1989, Tori was born. This was Dave's first child and he was infatuated with his daughter. She had blue eyes and blonde fuzzy hair. After the birth, Shelly told Dave that Tori was premature and that she would need Kathy's help more than ever. It was at this point that Dave was happy to have Kathy around to help, since he worked so much and couldn't be there to help out with the new baby. Tori was born one week early from her due date. When Shelley returned home with Tori, she informed Nikki, Sammy, and Shane that Tori had stopped breathing at the hospital and that Shelley was the one to revive her back to life. The hospital had sent home monitors for Tori to ensure that she was okay. Once Shelly and Tori were settled in the home, it was not long before strange and concerning things started to happen. The monitors that were sent home to look after Tori would start going off in the middle of the night. The alarms would go off when Tori would stop breathing. The kids would hear the alarms and rush downstairs to see if everything was okay with Tori. Each time, they saw Shelly holding Tori with a terrified look on her face. Shelly would tell them that everything was fine And that they needed to go back to bed. Nikki knew something was not right. Therefore, one evening, she was the first to hear the alarms and ran out of her room. As she looked downstairs, she saw her mother holding a pillow over Tori's face. As she watched this happen, she could not help but think about the time when she was three years old, when her mother was holding a pillow in her bed. Nikki knew her mother was crazy But was she really capable of smothering her own children? And had she done this to all of them when they were little? After this, Nikki felt a strong maternal instinct to watch out for her baby sister and protected her the best way she could. Sammy's birthday had arrived and she was excited. For a moment, the family seemed normal. Sammy had a cake, presents, and friends at her party. There was no wallowing or abuse going on. She opened her presents, and the one present that she truly loved and enjoyed was a necklace that Kathy had given her. She thought it was beautiful and could not believe that Kathy bought it for her. Shelley saw how much her daughter loved the necklace and asked her what her favorite present was. Sammy told her mother she loved all of her presents, but if she had to choose, she really loved the necklace. Once everyone left, Shelly took out her frustration on Sammy. Shelley grabbed her belt and beat Sammy with it, all while yelling that she was an ungrateful brat. Sammy quickly learned that when Shelly asks you what your favorite present is, you always say hers. Once the excitement and attention of the new baby wore off, Shelly had to come up with another way to gain attention. She called her stepmother, Laura, and told her that she had cancer once again. Laura, not thinking that Shelley would lie about something again, was concerned. She asked Shelly about the treatment and what she needed from her. As weeks and months passed, Shelly told several different versions of her cancer story. The type of cancer changed, the type of treatment had changed, and Laura was now not allowed to go to any appointments with Shelley. Lara, frustrated, confronted Shelly about the lies, and said that it was all made up, and it needs to stop. Even Dave tried to tell Lara that the cancer was real, but Lara told him that he was being suckered into believing it, and that he shouldn't. This still did not sway Dave's belief for his wife's cancer. Lara realized that Shelly was trying to get attention, but she was not going to get it from Lara. The abuse at the louder back house continued, although now it had shifted towards Kathy Loreno, Shelley's friend who moved in to try and help out with the baby. It was not long after Kathy moving into the house that Kathy started to see Shelly for who she really was. Shelley forced Kathy to do chores around the house, and if Kathy did not respond back with a pleased tone, Shelley would yell and hit her. When the fighting would start between Shelly and Kathy, Shelly would tell Kathy that she was made to do it because she was not listening. It was her fault and that she was a horrible person and no one wanted to be around her. Shelly would break Kathy down emotionally just to be the one to lift her back up. Shelly always told Kathy that the reason she treated Kathy the way she did was for her own good. Kathy was sick and needed help. Kathy would cry and say she was sorry for whatever she did and promised to never do it again. Shelly had a tendency to gaslight and manipulate any situation. Shelley told Kathy that she had started to sleepwalk in the night and started to do it naked while walking into her nephew's room, Shane. Kathy did not believe it and professed her innocence. Shelley told Kathy that she was trying to help her and that she would not lie to her. She even said her own children saw Kathy doing it and made them lie as well. Kathy confused and in disbelief started to believe Shelly's lies. Shelly also told Kathy that she was fat because she was sleepwalking to the kitchen and eating food in the middle of the night. Shelly claimed to have found pies underneath Kathy's bed. However, the kids knew their mother and knew that Shelly was probably putting the pies there herself, just as a way to beat Kathy down. Kathy again believed what her friend was telling her. Just as Shelley took away the privileges of her own children and of Shane, she started to do the same with Kathy. Shelley took away Kathy's clothes and made her do chores in the nude. Kathy was also no longer to use the bathroom inside, Therefore, she was forced to bathe outside with a hose. Shelley also locked Kathy in a closet as a form of punishment. For what, no one knows. Shelley, all the while told Kathy that she was doing this for her own good and would always keep Kathy safe and that she loved her. Nikki, Sammy, and Shane saw the abuse that was now being inflicted onto Kathy and they hated it. But they were also relieved since Kathy moved in, the abuse that Nikki and Shane had suffered at the hands of their mother had lessened. It turned to Kathy. Although they felt bad for Kathy, they were happy it wasn't them being abused. Nikki and Shane could not understand why Kathy didn't just leave. She was an adult. They both realized if an adult can't escape Shelley, maybe they never will either. During this time, Dave was typically at work. He knew something was not right, but he didn't see at first hand what Shelley was doing to Kathy until later. Even then, he was too afraid to confront her or to make her stop. Shelley loved to come up with new ways to torture and abuse Kathy and enjoyed having her nephew Shane do her bidding. She would force Shane to beat on Kathy and kick her. Shane knew that if he did not do as his aunt commanded, he would too suffer abuse. This left him no choice but to do as his aunt bid. One time, Shelley forced Shane to attack Kathy, and as Kathy started to run away, Shelley grabbed her and wrapped her arms around her, almost as if to save her from Shane. Shelley then stopped Shane from attacking Kathy. It was not long before Kathy started to lose weight and became a shell of a person that she once was. She lost so much weight that her hair started to fall out. Even through this torture and abuse, the family found time to go on vacations and camping trips. Dave and Shelly would pack up everything, sit in the front seats, the kids would pile into the back, and they would force Kathy to ride in the trunk. When they would get to the place where they would be camping, they would set up their campsite and set up their tent. When it was time to go to sleep, everyone slept in the tent except for Kathy, who was forced to sleep under the car. The next day of their camping trip, Shelley thought it'd be a great idea to put Kathy in the trunk. She said that it would be fun and Kathy would enjoy sleeping there for the night. By the next morning, when she was let out, Cathy fell to the ground and could not walk. When the girls got home from school one day, they saw Kathy on the front porch with a bowl on her head and Shelley standing behind her with scissors. Shelly had cut off all of Kathy's long, beautiful, wavy hair, and it was not a pretty cut. Shelly butchered Kathy's hair and thought it looked better on Kathy. Shane and Nikki knew something more was going on. Prior to Kathy coming to live with them, Kathy was normal and had a personality. Now, she was a zombie. Something was wrong with her. Why would someone stay through this abuse and not escape? Shane and Nikki decided to see if Shelley was feeding pills or medication to Kathy. As they were searching, they found out that Shelley had an arsenal of prescription medication and that she was most likely feeding them to Kathy. They found a specific pill that they saw Shelley feeding to Kathy regularly, and Shane decided to take it to see what effects it had. Soon, Nikki saw that Shane was loopy and almost zombie-like. The pills were Prozac. The abuse and torture of Kathy continued. She was forced to sleep in the basement where Shane once slept, but with no blankets, bed, or toilet. It was just a concrete floor that she slept on. The kids were concerned for Kathy as they saw her deteriorating right in front of their eyes. One night, they heard Shelly yelling at Kathy. They looked out their window and at the top of an icy, cold hill, they saw Dave and Shelly yelling at a naked Kathy. It was cold outside and there was snow on the ground. Shelley instructed Kathy to climb up the hill and slide down it on her bare bottom. Kathy pleaded and begged for the torment to stop, but Shelley continued to force Kathy. Kathy started to slide down the hill and with each time she slid, more blood appeared in the ice. Sammy, Nikki, and Shane watched in horror as they saw the torture of Kathy. After every slide down the hill, there was more blood than the last. It looked like one big red stripe had been painted down a snowy white hill. Although Kathy and her mother were fighting, Kathy's mother still loved her daughter and was trying to locate her. Kathy's family knew she was staying at the Louderback house with Shelly and her family, but had no idea what was being done to her. When they would call, Shelly would lie. She told Kathy's family that Kathy had left with a boyfriend named Rocky and that she hadn't seen her. The abuse continued, and Kathy grew so weak and was starting to die. Her teeth started to rot and fall out, and her skin started to hang off of her bones. By 1992, the family moved out of the Louderback home into a house on Monahan Landing in Raymond, Washington. The five-acre property was secluded just enough that Shelley could continue her abuse. It was an old 1930s farmhouse that needed work, but it was no problem for Shelley, as she would just have the kids and Kathy do all the chores. There were multiple buildings on the property, chicken coops, sheds, and an old barn. The house was small and was not big enough for six people moving in. Dave and Shelley had their own room with Tori, Nikki and Sammy had their own room, but Shane and Kathy did not. Shane was forced to sleep in Nikki's closet while Kathy was forced to sleep on the living room floor. The abuse continued with the children as well. Although Kathy suffered the most, the kids were still victims of Shelley's rage and outburst. Shelley would bite Nikki, punch her and kick her she also called the kids' names daily. She even went as far as to embarrass Nikki one day at school. Shelley showed up and started screaming at Nikki about a missing mascara. This was Shelley's way to embarrass Nikki so she would not have any friends. Kathy, even at the new house, was not allowed to use the bathroom or the shower. Instead, she had to still shower outside with a hose but Shelly changed the soap that she used to pour on Kathy to something far worse. Shelly started to pour bleach onto Kathy while she was being hosed off outside. Kathy had open sores from the abuse and her body was decaying. And when the bleach would run down her body, she would scream in agony. If Kathy tried to escape, Dave or Shelly would restrain her with duct tape. Dave tried to talk to Shelly about Kathy and having her leave to get help. He saw that she was dying and needed medical attention. Shelly would always come up with some excuse or reason as to why she was doing what she did to Kathy and Dave believed it. Shelly would tell Dave that she was doing this to help Kathy and this was the only way. Eventually, Kathy, like Shane, had run away from Shelly trying to escape, but Shelly would find Kathy and bring her back to the home with promises of things being different and getting better. When she came back, Kathy was moved to the pump house building on the property. But this was no better than the living room floor. In fact, it was worse. It was cold, wet, and dark. One day when Dave got home from work, Kathy was let out of the pump house, but only to be beaten. Shelley was so upset about the yard work that was done by Kathy. She instructed Dave to kick her and Dave did. He kicked Kathy in the head with his steel-toed boots. It was at this point something went really wrong with Kathy. She could no longer talk. Although the kids were forced to stay outside in the buildings as well, Kathy was out there far longer. She was starved and beaten to the point of near death. Shane tried to let Kathy out and tell her she needed to escape, but Kathy refused. Shelly still told everyone that she was dying of cancer. She even went as far as to put white makeup on her face when her stepmom, Laura, came over to make her think she was really sick. Laura knew that Shelly was lying and did not believe her at all. Laura still was unaware of the abuse that Kathy and the children were suffering from. Shane was worked to the bone. He went to school during the day and worked until dark and was forced to give beatings to Kathy. He was trapped and afraid. Dave was a participant in the abuse towards Kathy as well. One time, when Shelly was sitting on the living room couch, she looked over into the kitchen and saw a Tupperware container full of feces. She immediately knew it was Kathy and beat her bloody with an extension cord. The next day when Dave came home, Shelly told Dave about it and instructed him to waterboard Kathy for the incident. Dave duct taped Kathy to restrain her and placed her on a sheet of plywood face down. Then Shelly told Dave to lower her head into a bucket of water. As this was being done, Shelly had made the children watch as well. Shelly told the kids that this was to help Kathy become a better person. Shelly yelled at Kathy while she was being tortured, calling her a fat pig. She was worthless and she was stupid. Kathy cried for the abuse to stop, but it only fueled Shelly's rage. After the waterboarding incident, Shelly used it as a way to keep Kathy clean. She preferred this bathing method over the bleach baths in the yard. However, Kathy's body was in bad shape. She was starved and was not eating. Shelly, being creative in her abusive ways, thought of another way to make Kathy eat. Shelley went to the fridge, took out all the rotten food she could find. She put it into a blender and poured the contents into a cup. She handed it to Kathy and said, drink. And Kathy did. No one noticed what was happening at the Monahan Landing House. Neighbors, teachers, and people were unaware of the atrocities that took place. All the kids were good at hiding their bruises However, Kathy had gotten so bad that Shelley couldn't keep it a secret anymore. She agreed to move her into the laundry room of the house. Kathy could barely speak or walk. One day, when Dave came home from work, he heard a sound coming from the laundry room. It almost sounded like a gurgling sound, but it was not human. He asked Shelly what the noise was, and she told him it was Kathy resting. He went into the laundry room, and what he saw, he could not believe. To be continued next week.